0: Do we have any real fans of peanut butter here? Yeah, like you love peanut butter. I don't mean to be like, ah, oh, yeah, I like it. I mean like, because I love peanut butter. I mean, I, I'm like beyond loving peanut butter. I'm like one, you know, can of peanut butter away from having to join like a 12-step group over like my love of peanut butter. I mean, I love peanut butter, and here's the thing: is that um you know, a couple of weeks ago I came home for lunch uh to see my family, but you know, truth be told, I came home because I was really in the mood for peanut butter. And so I, I came home now. I don't I'm not like a peanut butter kind of guy that um kind of just makes himself like a peanut butter sandwich. I just the thought of peanut butter and jelly is disgusting. Why would you want to take away from the delight of peanut butter? And um and just before like some people ask, you know, are, you know, what kind of peanut butter, choosy moms choose Jif. All right? So just, I leave that. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, so, I mean, I, I leave it at that. But I, I will say this, is, is that um, I came home to get some peanut butter. So what I tend to do in my peanut butter love is that I don't, I don't, I make peanut butter sandwiches sometimes. What I usually do is just get a spoon and I'll just use it, either as a snack. I'll just get a scoop of peanut butter and walk around. The house or whatever with it, but here's the thing that's happened recently is that my daughter has now caught the peanut butter love. So now I'll eat some peanut butter, and then my daughter will say, "Papi, I have peanut butter too." And so I will get out her special Snoopy spoon, and then uh, I'll give her a scoop of peanut butter, and she'll walk around because she knows that when the Snoopy spoon comes out, it's peanut butter time. And so, which is much like Hammer Time except without the weird pants. Um and so what happens is is that I'll give her some peanut so I was home that day, I get a scoop of peanut butter, I give her a scoop of peanut butter, and so I'm there, Karen and I are talking, and uh she says, you know, Bobby more, and so I give her another scoop of peanut butter. And then we're, you know, talking some more and she asks for another scoop of peanut butter. I'm like, wow, this girl's really she's got the bug, like I like I got it. So anyway, I end up giving her over the course of the you know thirty, forty minutes that I'm at home to have lunch, so that I gotta drive back to the office, I end up giving her several scoops of peanut butter and then she says, uh, I, I tell her that I'm going to leave. And I say, all right, mama, I'm going to go give papi un besito. And so, you know, give papi a kiss. And so, um, I, but what, you know, the other weird thing I didn't notice was like, I have two kids, which means that my house is like an insane asylum. It's like crazy yelling, loud television. All, and, and if you're a parent, I feel your pain. I'm there too. Uh, it's just, you know, there's this craziness happening all the time. Toys are going, toys that aren't even like in use anymore, like in another room. You know, Elmo's still talking like whatever, whoever he's talking to. But there's all this crazy stuff going on. And so what what happens is is that. But the weird part is, is that my house was strangely silent. And if you're a parent, you know, when things are silent, that's when kids are getting into real trouble. And so there was it was strangely quiet at our house. So I'm getting ready to leave. And when my daughter comes near me to give me a kiss to leave, I notice that her she's like this to give me a kiss. And then I realized she's just been stuffing peanut butter in her mouth the whole time. She hasn't actually eaten it yet. She's just been eating, you know, like scooping it, but she hasn't swallowed it yet. So it's been like 20 minutes. And then I'm looking a little closer and there's like this ooze that's coming out. It's like this peanut buttery saliva ish stuff that's like oozing out. And then she's like, yes. And I'm like, Mama, let's just shake. Let's shake hands. Give Buffy high five so I can go. She's like, you know. And so she wants, now mind you, I love peanut butter. I've never wanted to actually be kissed by peanut butter before. And so she, I, I say, okay, Carrie, my wife says, you have to kiss her. You have to. And I'm like, all right. And so I kneel down to kiss her, and I mean, she just lays one on me peanut butter all over my face, my cheek, it gets on my shirt because she's got some on her hand, you know, I mean, she just does that, you know, it just, it gets everywhere. And then I, I, I leave. And and here's the thing, here's the thing that I learned. It's like this huge principle of life that I learned from that little situation. And that is that whatever it is that we put in us eventually is going to come out. You know, she just kept stuffing peanut butter and eventually it's going to come out. You know, the same thing is true with what he put into our minds, what he put into our hearts. What do we put into our lives? Whatever it is that we put into us is eventually going to come out, whether it's peanut butter, whether it's foolishness or whether it's wisdom. When we need it, whatever it is that's really in us, it's going to come out. You see, Proverbs, the book that we've been studying, that we started the series last week called Vintage Wisdom. The thing that we've learned is this, is that Proverbs tells us to get wisdom at all costs. To internalize it. In fact, it even tells us this. Make it part of your family if you have to. But you've got to get wisdom no matter what. In fact, in the notes that we gave you in Proverbs 7, this is what it says. It says, follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you would guard your own eyes. Tie them to your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister and make insight a beloved member of your family. The idea is this, and this is what God knows, is that if we put wisdom into our hearts and into our minds, that when, things, when we're under pressure, what is going to come out is wisdom. But if we simply give lip service to wisdom, and all that we really fill our lives with is foolishness, that when we're under pressure, what's going to come out is simply foolishness as well. And we'll end up living the life of a fool instead of the life of a wise person. Now, what is foolishness? Last week, we defined what wisdom is. uh, And and yet, that wisdom is the application of God's word in all we say and do. That's what we talked about. Wisdom is. But I want to define, if I can for a moment, what foolishness is. And this is my definition of foolishness. And it's there. We gave you a spot in your notes to write it down. That foolishness is this. It's the lack of understanding that comes from ignoring the wisdom of God. The lack of understanding that comes from ignoring the wisdom of God. You see, that's why fools can't ever make the right decision. It's because they lack the wisdom that comes from receiving, from accepting, from internalizing the wisdom of God. Listen, that's why fools can't make the right decision. That's why Gilligan never gets off the island. Because he's always making foolish decisions that lead him away from to be able to do where he wants to get to in life. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs chapter 8. It says, you who are uneducated, get wisdom. You who are foolish, get understanding. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the villain of Proverbs. There is a hero in Proverbs, and her name is Wisdom. There is a villain in Proverbs, and his name is Foolishness. And what we're going to do, look at is essentially three things that foolish people do. And here's the, the, it's real simple. If you want to be wise, here's what you do. Do the opposite of what these fools do. And as simple as that, if you do the opposite of what these fools do, you will build and live a life of wisdom. Because here's the thing that we have to understand. We think that foolish people and wise people don't want the same things, and we're wrong. Foolish people and wise people want the same things out of life. They just go about it differently. Foolish people and wise people, listen, they want to both want to be happy. They both want to be loved, they both want fulfillment, they both want their lives to matter, they both want the best for their family, but what happens is that they come to a fork in the road. They can go the way of wisdom, which is God's way, or they can go the way of foolishness, which is their own way, because the Bible says in Proverbs that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And so instead of going my own way, I could go God's way, but they come to a fork in the road, and they see what God is saying, and they say, well, I think I'll go my own way, and it'll probably lead to the same place. But it doesn't, and that's what makes them so foolish. And so this is where we get to decide. This is where we get to write part of the story, is to say, am I going to be a person of wisdom, or am I going to be a fool? So why don't you turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 10, Pardon, that's where we're gonna begin. We're gonna look at verse one. I'm gonna have you turn in a little bit in your Bibles this morning, if you don't mind. There's some important things I want to share with you. But here's where we're gonna start in verse one, where it says the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, what a fools do, here's a fools do. Listen. Fools think momentary, not legacy. Now, you write that down in your notes. Fools think momentary, not legacy. They're only thinking about right now, not what right now eventually leads to. When I was in the sixth grade, there used to be this department store uh, when I was living in, in Brockton, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston. Um, uh, there used to be this department store called Bradley's. Bradley's is kind of like Target, except not quite as nice. Uh, not as nasty as Walmart, but somewhere in between. Um, uh, anyway, um, there's an, another whole series of jokes in there about people who go to Walmart, but I'll punt that for now. Um, and anyway, so there's this place called Bradley's that I used to go to, and it was right down the street from my house. Well, anyway, when I was in the sixth grade, I got caught shoplifting in Bradley's. Now, what I was stealing was were cassettes. And uh, one of the cassettes, was um, ACDC Highway to Hell, which is why, one of the reasons why the band played that, even though that's off a different album. But we won't correct that. Um, but anyway, so that was one of the that was one album, which kind of made sense because that's pretty much where I was headed anyway. Um, and so, but so that was one of them. But the other was an album by the band Striper. Now, if you don't know, Striper was a Christian rock band in the '80s. So you, I got you got to understand the irony of this situation. I was caught stealing music about Jesus. And it's like, that's just kind of a weird thing, you know, that you you kind of, you know, well what were you stealing? All this Jesus music and then the other stuff. So you're going to go home and like sing songs that are about Jesus. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I just liked the band. So you're just going to, you're going to steal music about Jesus and feel pretty good about it. I guess so. And, uh, and now, mind you, I got caught and then they took, they took the stuff away from me. They kind of wrote a report and then they put me in department store prison, which is basically, I don't know if you've ever been caught shoplifting It's like this horrible experience. But then, but um, uh, department store prison, they put you basically like in an empty room that has a window. And then you just have to sit there until your parents show up. It's like the worst 20 minutes of your life. And then my mom showed up, and she was embarrassed. And then she saw me, and then I was afraid uh, for my life and, and all of that. And, and it was like this ho- horrible thing. But here's the thing that happened. And this is what is so foolish about that, is that while I thought, man, momentary, it's going to be a great thing. If I can just get out the door, I'm going to have some music to listen to without listening, without paying for it. What the problem was is what I didn't realize that when I got caught, I became this proverb, this embarrassment to his parents that a wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Now, listen, here's the thing that's so important. This really has nothing to do with parents. Really, and essentially, it has everything to do with the fact that our the decisions that we make are building a legacy in our lives. Because here's how wise people think, and here's how foolish people think. Wise people realize that my actions are going to determine the person that I become. Foolish people think this way. It's not my actions that determine who I become, it's my intentions. That determine the person that I become. Because what we do is we'll do the wrong thing and we'll say, but that's not really me. What I really want to do is the right thing. But I didn't because the circumstance made me do the wrong thing. But I'm really a good person. Listen, that's the talk of the foolish. Because wise people realize that what I do is really who I become. You see, if I'm stealing all the time and then I say, yeah, but I'm not really a thief. Because in my heart, I'm not a thief. The the, uh, Like... I'm, I'm the only person that I'm fooling is myself because everyone around me has realized that it's my actions that are proving who it is that I'm becoming. Now, here's the thing that's so important is that every action that we take is leading us down a certain road that eventually is going to turn into the legacy, which is based on the person that we become, which is based on the actions that we do. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to have you turn for a moment to the book of first Samuel chapter two. two, first Samuel chapter two, it's, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. So you kind of follow it along there. That's where First Samuel chapter 2. And here's, let me give you some of the background before we're going to read a bunch of verses there and part of a story. And here, here's the thing that's important to note. What the Bible always does, and it's so fascinating to me why the Bible does this, the Bible always doesn't just tell you the story of someone, but it kind of puts in contrast two people or two groups of people. And in this story, we're going to see um, two groups of people. We're going to see a guy by the name of Eli and his sons named Phineas and Hophnius. Uh, We're going to see those two guys. And then we're going to see this other young kid by the name of Samuel. And, And what we're going to see is the absolute contrast. These two sons that are complete fools, even though they had every opportunity to succeed and be wise and be leaders. And then this other kid. Who shows up and just makes the wise choice over and over again and ends up being the leader of Israel when it really wasn't even his place to be. But it was God elevated him to this place of prominence simply because he was a person of wisdom. It's first Samuel chapter two. Let me read you verse. <coughs> we're going to start in verse 12. Pardon me. It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And, as the, and the priest's custom with the people was that when a man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. He would thrust it into the pan, the kettle, the cauldron, or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. And this they did to Shiloh, to all the Israelites who came there. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And when they came, also, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said, Well, they really should burn the fat first, and then you take as much as your heart desires, they would say, No, but you must give it now, and if not, we'll take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, let me kind of explain what's happening. What's happening was that what they're doing is there's this passage in the book of Leviticus that talks about how the priests were to be compensated and how the priests were supposed to provide for their family. Now, one of the ways that that happened was what they would do is this. When people came to bring their offering, this is before Jesus came and became the sin offering for all people. But before they did, they would offer these animals as sacrifices for their sins. That was the Old Testament system. So what they would do is they'd bring a, you know, a, a ram, a goat, an ox, something like that, to cover, for, to cover their sins. And so there would be this transfer. My sin would now go on this animal. This animal would then be offered up as a sacrifice. But then here's what they would do. When the, when the animal was then offered on this altar for sacrifice, it was kind of like a big barbecue grill with the sides that came up, so you wouldn't be able to see, it. and there was a ramp. What they would do is they would take this, basically this 3 uh, uh flesh, flesh hook, that basically was like, a, imagine a giant fork, you know, or like a pitchfork. And what they would do is they would kind of plunge it into there. And whatever came up is what the priest would eat. That's how him and his family would eat. But here's what they didn't. So that was kind of, and so they would kind of be like, hey, whatever God has for me is what I'm going to eat. Sometimes it would be lean. Sometimes it would be great. But, you know, it was just an opportunity for them to trust God. Now, here's the thing that's important to note. The thing that's important to note was what they were doing was they were talking to the people before. And they were saying, well, here's what we're going to do. We want the certain cuts of meat. We're going to take the filet mignon from the meat, and then we're going to just offer up the rest, the junk. And the people were saying, hey, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And these guys were saying, these are the sons of Eli. They were saying, hey, you're going to, we're going to do it this way, or we're going to take it from you by force. And then the, the last part, verse 17 that we read, it says, and so people abhorred. They hated bringing their offering to God. Can you imagine that? That because of the leaders, because of the priests and the way that they were handling the, the the offering of God, that people hated bringing the offering because of what was taking place. And so this is the sons of Eli. This is what they were doing. Now let me continue in verse 18. Let me give you the contrast, the other person. It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now the linen ephod was what the priests would wear. That was kind of like their undergarment, like the T-shirt and... Jeans, you know, those was just like their regular garment. But even though he wasn't a priest, he still wore the garments of a priest because he was doing priestly work because he was ministering in the temple. Um, and so here's what happens. It says, moreover, his mother used to make a little uh, make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. Elkanah was Samuel's dad. Hannah was Samuel's mom uh, and say, the Lord bl- give you descendants Um, from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. That would be Samuel who was serving in the temple. And then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, this this is the key, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. All the scams that they were pulling on the people, Eli knew about it. And here's what it says and how he and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they were involved in, in all of that. And it says, and he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, he did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. By the way, that's not the place you want to be, you know, because God was trying to wipe them out. And it says, and the child Samuel, this is the key, verse 26, and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both God and men. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the thing that's so important about about this passage and why I bring it up. The contrast is so amazing You've got this kid who shouldn't be a priest operating as a priest. Why? Because he's a person of integrity and a person of wisdom and character. You've got these guys that are priests that are operating like delinquents because they simply don't care. They want what they want now because they're thinking momentary, not legacy, saying that, hey, there's something that's going to happen later on and how I'm going to be remembered, how this is going to get passed on to my kids and to my grandkids. And instead, here's what's going to take place. Samuel. Pardon me. Here's what happens with Samuel. Samuel, it says, he just grows in wisdom and in stature. So much so that when people see Jesus at the same age, ministering in the temple, asking questions, answering questions, here's what they say. They say the same thing of him in Luke 2.52. It says, and Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. The very same thing that they said of Samuel is what they said of him. And that's why I said before, you got to decide who you want to be—a person that is a disgrace, or a person that brings honor to his parents. Because it's really not even about your parents; it's about who you want to be and the kind of legacy that you want to leave. Because because legacy is built one decision at a time. Someone once wrote that you sow an act, you reap a habit; you sow a habit, you reap a character; you sow a character, and you reap a destiny. You don't know how the story ends for these two boys, Phineas and Hophnius, the sons of Eli. Here's what happens. They decide because, remember, foolishness doesn't just stay where it is. Foolishness always escalates. They were cheating people out of uh, their, their their offering. They're having sex with all these women in the, the tabernacle. And then they decide, hey, here's what we'll do. We'll take the ark of God into battle. We'll take the ark for a joyride, essentially, because the. Uh, the people of Israel were at war with the Philistines. They say, Here's let's just go down to the battle and we'll bring the ark. We'll be the heroes because everyone will say, look at these guys. They're trying to you know, make a big show for us. Well, here's what happens that they didn't realize is that that Israel was going to lose this battle. Israel was going to lose. They were going to get killed. And then the ark was going to get taken by the Philistines back to the cities of Philistia where the Philistines lived. And now what's going to happen? Well, here's what takes place. It's in your notes. I'm not going to have you turn there. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Listen to what it says. It says, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the women attended her saying, do not despair, you've given birth to a son. But she didn't respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God and because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She says the glory has departed from Israel for the ark has been captured. And that's what the name Ichabod means. It means the glory has departed. You see, think about this. When Phineas was messing around with women. When he was ripping off God's people, he wasn't thinking legacy. He was thinking momentary. And he was thinking momentary because he said, you know, I can stop this at any time and just do what I'm supposed to do. And maybe later on in life, that's what I'm going to do. But you know what happens? He decides to take a joy ride and doesn't realize when he takes a joy ride with the ark into a place of danger, because all of this was a real joke to him about serving God. He ends up losing his life. And now the fact that the ark is gone. His wife is dying when she's giving birth. He's not there, and you know what happens? She gives a birth and she calls him Ichabod because the glory's departed from Israel. And life, because of him, is not going to be what it once was. You see, if you want a legacy that matters, you've got to take the things of God seriously. That's the story of Phineas and Hophnius is that they didn't care. You see, the story of Hophnius and, and, and Phineas should have been. This is what it should have been. That Eli was a faithful priest and when he died, because by the way, what I forgot to mention to you is that when Eli hears the news that his sons had done this with the ark and that they had been killed, the Bible says that he fell out of his chair and broke his neck and died. And so here's what happens. But here's what, how it should have been. How it should have been is that Eli, at some point in time, goes to be with the Lord and his life ends here on planet Earth and he walks into eternity. And then his son Phineas, who's the older one, steps up to become the priest, to become the prophet that God wants him to be. But he thought the things of God were a joke. And because he thought the things of God were a joke, they weren't taking, worth taking seriously. And because they weren't worth taking seriously, he started messing around, not realizing that these very things would be the things that ended his life. And yet this one, Samuel, who wasn't a priest, he wasn't supposed to even be in line to be the leader of Israel. Guess who ends up being the leader? Well, we're reading 1 Samuel, so you guess who ends up being the leader. Samuel ends up being the leader of Israel because he took the things of God seriously and he realized that every decision that he made when he was honoring God was one that was building a legacy for him. You see, that's why when we say, oh, you know, I know I'm doing all this stuff on the weekend, but it doesn't really matter. No, it matters because it's turning you into the person that you are and will become. Oh, see, but I'm just hooking up with that girl. Listen, no, 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 you're not just hooking up. It's creating the person that you will become and the legacy that you're going to have. Oh, but see, I'm not really addicted. Oh, no, see, it's turning you into the person that you're going to become, because when you think the things of God are a joke. Here's what people find out. They find out that the joke is on them when they realize that it's turning them into some person that they never thought they would eventually become. Do you know what people in jail think? You you know what the, the most common thing is? Listen, they're surprised. Like, how could you be surprised if you live a life of crime that you end up in jail? They're surprised because the idea is, I always thought that I was going to be able to stop this and start doing the right thing. But see, when you start going down that road, here's what happens, is that you, you start turning into that person, even though, because you start thinking this is what the fool thinks, is that, no, I never had that intention, even though those were my actions, that's the way a fool thinks. A wise person realizes that my actions are more important than intentions, because my actions are going to turn me into the person that I become. The wise person is always thinking with the big picture in mind. Here's the other thing the fool does. Go back to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 8. It says, the wise in heart will receive commands, but a pratting fool will fall. A pratting fool will fall. An argumentative person is going to fall. But a wise person receives commands. Here's what the, the fool does. Listen, you want to jot this down in your notes. Fools see God's commandments as God's suggestions. They see God's commandments as God's suggestions. Can I ask you this question? How many of you have ever run out of gas in your car? Can I ask that? Those of you who are honest. Okay, the rest of you are lying. All right. Uh, All of us have run out of gas. And yet here's what we know. We know this. The Neil wasn't making a suggestion. (coughs) Pardon me. Now, here's the the funny part. Uh, the, The funny part is this. Is that, like, in my car, I don't just have, like, the full and then the empty. My, like once I get down to like an eighth of a tank, it's actually red. Like red alert. You will be out of gas soon. Then not only that, when I start really hitting the E, a light comes on. Then when I'm really running out of gas, the light gets even darker. Like just in case you couldn't see this, let me just darken it a little. You know, I'm telling you, there needs to be like an idiot button at some point. Like, hello, if there's a gas station anywhere near you, stop. And yet, here's the thing, is that sometimes, it, oh man, it's just making, it's being, oh God, seriously, my guard just is such an exaggerator. You know, I know that I can get further than it's really saying. And here's the thing that we all know. We've all, not only because we would never think of this of us. We ran out of gas because we were too busy to stop. But we see other people who run out of gas. And we don't, none of us ever think like there's the genius in our midst. You know? We we see somebody now, once again, that's not us. We run out of gas and it's not our fault. We were busy and then something happened. Our gauge somehow got messed up because when it's a little bit past E, there's still gas most of the time, but I don't know why it did that. But here's the thing that happens. You look at somebody who runs out of gas and you're not thinking that person is very smart. Why? Because it's like, didn't the guy know how to read a gauge? If the guy can't read a gauge, how did this person get a license? Like, that should be one of the questions on the, 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 the exam that they give for people that are going to get a driver's license. What should you do when the thing is on E? Keep going a little further, A. Just cover it up with your hand, B. You know? And then if they get that question wrong, even if they get all the other ones right, you should get denied. Like, listen, we can't give you a piece of two-ton machinery to carry around if you're not wise enough to fill it up with gas. That just should be one of the rules. But listen, in the same way, here's what we do when it comes to the gauges of life. We, say, we see God's commands and we say, that's not what he really means. You know, God's just exaggerating here. And then what we do is we take God's commands and we think that they're God's suggestions. Let me have you turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 now. <clears throat> and here's I'm going to tell you a part of the story. Because I've got to give you the backdrop for you to really get the, the full... Grasp of what's happening because the story seems so brutal. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, there was a group of people that when they were traveling to the promised land, they would kind of lie in wait for the people that were older and couldn't keep up, the people that maybe had injuries, uh, the people that had, you know, certain um, problems that they weren't really able to keep up, uh, those that were old, those were, that were too young, those that maybe weren't paying attention. And what they would do is that they would start plucking off all those people. They would beat them. They would kill them. They would take everything that they had. This group was called the Amalekites. You can read all about them in Exodus chapter 17. I mean, this was a really brutal group of people. This this group of people were involved in such horrendous practices, and you can read all about this, and you can Google it and you'll find out, but that it is so brutal, I can't even say it in mixed company, the kind of stuff that these people were involved in. And so here's what happens. God gives these people 200 years plus to turn from their ways. Talk about the patience of God waiting. Well, after hundreds of years passed and they still haven't changed their ways, God says, it kills me to do this. I've got to wipe these people out. I've got to take care of these people the same way that if you or I were in a a schoolyard with full of children and you saw a rabid dog running towards them, you would realize you've got to put the dog down or it's going to destroy these kids that are there. You would say "It, it, it hurts you to do this, but it's the right thing to do. It's the greater good. And so God says, I've got to take the I've got to take these people out because they're so wicked, they're so horrendous in what they do. They're going to end up destroying all of these people. Now, here's what happens. God calls on the, Saul, who's the king, and he says, I want you to go to the people. I want you to get the, your army together, and I want you to wipe out the Amalekites. Now, here's what you've got to understand. You have to wipe out everybody. I don't even want one sheep, one goat, nothing. I want nothing left of these people. And so Saul says, okay. Well, let me read to you what happens. Verse 7 of chapter 15. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. But he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best sheep, oxen, fatlings, lambs, and all that was good. And were unwilling to destroy them, but they utter, everything that was utterly despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Why is that? And if you pause there, let me just tell you this real quick. When a person, when a group of people went into battle, they would wipe out their enemy, but then they would take all the best stuff, and those would be the spoils of war. That's how this army was paid. When you won the battle, you got the spoils of war. That was the incentive to really fight well. They didn't get paid in advance. They got paid after the battle was done. You wipe them out, you get all their stuff. And so for God to say, oh, you've got to wipe it all out, they're saying, well, God was probably exaggerating. Because he didn't really want us to do that, because, you know, he wants to... Give us a bunch of stuff. But God's saying, no, this time that's not going to be the case. You've got to wipe them out completely. Well, here's what happens. They don't do that. They see God's command as God's suggestion. And then it says in verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king for he has turned his back on following me, has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Saul and he cried out to the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went up to Carmel, and he has deed, set up a monument for himself. Do you understand that? Hey, Samuel says, hey, I'm looking for Saul. Oh, he's over at Carmel. He's, go, he's building a statue for himself. Like, this guy doesn't have an ego problem or anything. It's kind of like someone calls you and says, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm drawing a self-portrait of me. You know, you might say, hey, that guy's got a little bit of a problem. He's like, really? And I says, yeah, I do that all the time. I just love me. Anyway, so here's what happens. He says, and now he's gone to Gilgal, and then, this is verse 13, it says, So Samuel went to Saul, Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. This is what he says. <clears throat> and this is what Samuel says. Then why is it that I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen? And Saul said, They, not me, they have brought them from the Amalekites, and the people spared the best sheep, the best oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord, and the rest we've utterly destroyed. And Samuel says, be quiet, I'm going to tell you what God said to me last night. And verse 17, it says, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did the Lord not anoint you king over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission. And said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're consumed. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag king of Amalek and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, apparently not if you left one alive. And says, But the people took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen. Notice this guy's the leader, but he's blaming everybody else. But the best things which should have been destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord our God. And this is what Samuel says. He says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, if you pause there, here's what I want to do. I know we've read a lot of text, but at this moment, Saul has disobeyed and God says, I'm going to reject you from being king. Here's what Saul doesn't know is that this decision will be the decision that kills him. And this is where I want to now transfer from the beginning of Saul's reign. I want us to go now to the end of Saul's reign and tell you what happens. I put this in your notes. And we're going to read this and then we're going to make a little bit of commentary after. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Here's what we read. It says, After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground to pay honor, to pay him honor. Where did you come from? David asked him. He answered, I escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked, tell me. And he said, the man fled from battle. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, who, by the way, was David's best friend, are dead. And then David answered the young man who brought the report saying, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? He says, I happen to be on Mount Gilboa. The young man said, and Saul was leaning on his spear with chariots and riders almost upon him. And when he turned around, he saw me and called down and I said, what can I do? And he said, who are you And Amalekite? I answered. And then he said to me, stand over and kill me for I'm in the thrones of death, but I'm still alive. And so I stood over him. And killed him. Do you understand what's happening here? Saul, God told Saul to kill the Amalekites, and because he didn't, the Amalekites ended up being the one who killed him. My friends, listen to me very carefully. The commandments of God are not for him. God's not giving us the commands of God because somehow this benefits him in some way. God gives us the commandments of God because it's the most beneficial thing to us. Because when I decide to take God's commands and turn them into God's suggestion, it always ends up in ruin for us. That's the thing that's so important for us to note. God set up Saul to be the king of Israel. But listen, when he couldn't fulfill the mission and obey the voice of God, the thing that he thought was no big deal ended up being the thing that killed him. Do you want to know what the last words of Saul were before he entered into that battle that killed him? Here's what he said. It's in your notes in 1 Samuel 26. He says, I've played the fool and have erred exceedingly. That became the story of Saul's life. Every time God told him to do something, he modified it. Instead of obeying God completely, he obeyed God partially. And listen, as the saying goes, partial obedience is no obedience. He's not obeying God when he decides that he's going to. Well, I'm going to do part of what God said for me to do. No, you're not really obeying God. And listen. The question is, is that what you want to be said of you? It's certainly not what I want to be said of me. I don't want my life to be one that's compared to Saul. Because God gives us his commands, listen, because it's beneficial to us to obey them. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses is speaking to the people before they go into the promised land, here's what he says. He says, keep his decrees and commandments, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children, after and that you may live long in the land that God is giving you for all time. You see, God's commands are so that it will go well with you. Not because it's like going to benefit God in some way for you to do the right thing. No, the benefit, the commands of God are there for us, for our benefit. You see, God's doing just fine. The, the issue is this. Are we? Those who decide to choose wisdom and say that God's commands are God's commands, find a better life. Those who see God's commands as God's suggestions, find the life of the fool. And I know that no one wants to live the life of the fool. To not live the life of the fool, we've got to do the opposite of what fools do, which is what the wise do. See, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we do the opposite of what God wants us to do, and then we say this, God is judging me. Let me give you a verse. You may have never read it. It's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter two. It's in your nose. It says this. Your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you've forsaken the Lord your God and that the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Isn't that interesting that God says this when you sin? It's not me that's judging you, but it's the natural consequences of our actions that are, we're experiencing in our lives. What do I mean by that? Let's say that somebody decides, let's say you decide that you're going to rob a bank and you get caught. And then as when the police show up and they're taking you, they cuff you and they're taking you into the squad car, back to the station to throw you in the slammer during all that whole period. You cry out to God in sincerity and you say, God, please forgive me. I've made a big mistake. Do You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's first John chapter one, verse nine. That's what God says. But do you know that even though God is going to forgive you, you're still going to jail? Yeah, but no, 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 but now God's no, 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 it's not the judgment of God. God has already forgiven you. But the problem is that there's the natural consequences of our action that are still playing themselves out because there's this law of spiritual life and physical life that you reap what it is that you sow. You see, it's not God judging me that, I'm, that someone's going to go to prison. It's the natural consequences of our actions. And that's how it works in every area of our life. You decide you're not going to do relationships God's way. When we decide that, it's going to be a disaster. Because that's just reaping what we've sown. If we decide that we're not going to manage our money God's way, even though Proverbs has so much to say about how we spend, how we earn, how we do loans, and how we sign for stuff, and all of that is in Proverbs, when we decide we're going to ignore that and take the commandments of God as God's suggestions, hey, listen, it is going to be a tough road. You decide to not have a godly work ethic that Proverbs talks about considerably? Listen, it's not God's fault when somebody gets fired. You see, we can't say it's God's judgment. It's the natural consequences of our actions. Listen, Saul died because he didn't see the commandments of God as that important. Phineas and Hophnius, they died because they saw the commandments of God as a joke. Wise are the people who say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. One last one and then we're done. Verse 18, it says, whoever whoever hides hatred... Has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In the multitude of words sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The heart or the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. If you pause there and give me your attention, what's the last thing that we note? Here's what fools do. Fools use words as weapons. They use words as weapons. Now, I've been trying to rack my brain trying to find someone that's a picture of opening your mouth is a really foolish thing to do when you shouldn't do it. And I'm trying to think of someone, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of someone who kind of pictures that for us. Oh, okay, yeah, there's a good one. Um, now, here's the thing. I mean, is this guy not like the most hated person in America right now? Why? Because he's a fool. That's why. It has nothing to do with it. It's just, he's a fool. Now, why is he a fool? He's a fool because there's a saying that it's better that people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and dispel all doubt. and, And that's what happened. In fact, Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 17, 28. It says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. But that's the problem when you're a fool. When you're a fool, you just can't shut your mouth. And that becomes a problem. And listen, words have the ability to build up or destroy and I can tell you this, and, and uh, uh, you know, here's the thing that's so important, is that some, I would venture that most of us here in this room, that the biggest scars that we have in our lives are not physical. But they're scars that have come from words that people have spoken to us. Now, isn't that interesting? That it's the words that have caused the scars, not the bru- the physical bruise or the cut or the scrape. It's true in my life. I bet it's true in yours that it's words that were used as weapons, words that were misspoke when people weren't articulate when people didn't say the right thing in the right way or they purposely said the wrong thing. To us, that hurt us, and many of us for years have been carrying that. Listen, the Bible tells us this, that wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Parents, can I talk to you for a second? If you're a parent, please listen carefully. If you're not a parent, but think you're ever going to have a child, please listen to me very carefully. Parents, the words that you use are shaping your kids right now. The words that you use are shaping your kids right now. The words that you use, the lack of words that you use, the kinds of words that you use. And sometimes we don't, and I've had people say this to me, oh, Bob, you're just being extreme. My son knows that when I call him an idiot, that's not really what I mean, that I'm just kidding around with him. I've had people tell me that before. And this is my response. You know something? You are a fool. You're a fool to think that. That's what the Bible. I'm not trying to insult you. That's what the Bible says. That a fool doesn't realize. That th- listen, the Bible tells us this. It says that life and death are found in our words. Listen, it's the words that we use are a big deal. And yet here's the thing that happens. You know, and by the way, when you say, oh, I call my son dumb. I call him an idiot. He knows that I'm kidding. Can I share this with you? Do you want your kids to get used to being called an idiot? so that when someone who isn't kidding says that to them now it wounds them deeply because they've already that now becomes an area of hurt in their life listen you don't want that the bible says there's more hope for a fool than someone who thinks without speaking that's proverbs 29:20 20. well listen let me share with you a study that i read that a recent study that was done that kids kids hear 32 negative words for every positive one Thirty-two negative words for every positive one. They hear that they're dumb, that they're an idiot, that they're not smart, that they're never going to amount to anything, that's no, you're wrong, don't do that. They hear all of that. Thirty-two to, hey, you did good, you're smart, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, you're going to do great things in life. Thirty-two negative to one positive. And then we wonder why almost 70% of our population suffers from extremely low self-esteem. And then we go, oh, I just can't figure it out. no. It's because the words that have been spoken to us throughout the course of our lives have shaped us because the Bible says that the tongue has the power of life in death in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Listen, that's why as Christians, we need to be known as people who use our words to build up and to give life. Listen, if you're a Christian here and, and you do that, here's what I can. Here's what I know about you in your workplace. You're the one that everybody goes to when they have a problem. You say, well, yeah, why is that? In your school, you're the person everybody goes to when they have a problem. Well, why is that? Here's why, is because when, when you're using, because you know the power of God's Word, and when you share God's Word with them, here's what happens. You share God's Word, and then you build them up. You're not telling them that they're dumb. You may say, listen, that was a bad decision, but here's what I know, is that if you get on the right track with God, God can change your life, and, 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 and take you to the places that you do want to go. Nobody's talking like that. Somebody makes a decision and say, listen, dude, it's over for you. You know, you may as well give up now. That's what most people are saying. But when you speak words of life to people, listen, it's like they can't get enough of it. Why? Because most people aren't talking like that. And that's why as Christians, that's what we want to be known as. That's what we need to be known as because the tongue has the power of life and death. We have the power to speak life into people's lives. The Bible says this in Proverbs 10 verse 11. It says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. I was reading a story about someone in central California a couple years ago who got into an argument with his friend and ended up killing him. I mean, literally, like just beat him to death. And they said, this is your friend. How did this happen? He says, well, we got into an argument. But How did it escalate? And this is, this is, I've never forgotten this, this phrase, and I read it a couple of years ago. Here's what he said. He says, we got into an argument, but I ran out of words. Think about that for a moment. I ran out of words. And so when the, when the argument started escalating, there came a point in time when beating him to death was the only possible next step and solution. That's why the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked we're going to spend an entire message talking about the power of the tongue and what and what it can do in a person's life we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks but here's the question that i want to leave you with i know i've gone a few minutes over but listen i I want to share this with you do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool no one willingly picks to be a fool, but they make decisions that lead them into a life of foolishness because here's what they do. They, they use words as weapons and as, instead of using words to build other people up. And so violence overwhelms their life because that's the, the, the natural repercussion of that. They see God's commands as God's suggestions, and so they decide to go their own way. But the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. That's what Proverbs teaches and instead, here's what they do. Instead of thinking legacy, that my actions will determine who I become, they think momentary. And they end up living the life of a fool and saying like Saul at the end, i played the fool and erred exceedingly. In Proverbs 28:26, it says, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Listen, being wise, we talked about this last time, being wise is about putting God first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and knowledge. When I put God first, and then I recognize that his commands are his commands, and I'm going to do what he says because my life is better for it when I do. You know what happens? Everything changes. Listen, if you're here this morning you've never made that decision, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do this in the quietness of your own heart, in the quietness of your own mind at this very moment, if you say, hey, I've, never, I've known stuff about God, but I've never given my life to Jesus, never asked Him to forgive me, never put God in the, the rightful place that He should have been, here's what you do if you want to make that decision. You say, I want to be forgiven by God. I've been walking in a way of foolishness, and I want a fresh start. You just call out to God and you say, dear God, forgive me. I want to walk with you starting now. I want to be a person of wisdom. And that starts by embracing you who is the wisdom of life. A prayer prayed in sincerity like that, God will hear, answer, and act and change your life starting right now. And listen, that's what God wants to do. Maybe that's why God brought you here today. Because God wants us to be a people of wisdom and he's giving us the opportunity to be a people of wisdom. Let's pray together. God, thank you. That you offer to us wisdom to change our lives, to live the way that you want us to, because, God, we recognize that it's the best possible way to live. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would lead us to make the right choices, to put you first, and to use our words in the way that you want us to. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.